Welcome back, Volley Chiefs fans. This is Chief David Leonard here with our first new show of the year, a very special guest. I have Chief of the Brookfield Volunteer Fire Department, Andrew Ellis. I'm going to let him introduce himself, give him a little bit of his bio, and then we're going to have a talk about uh, family traditions in the fire service and a touch of recruiting and retention amongst volunteer services. So, Chief. Well, David, thank you for having me on. It's an honor uh, to be here. Uh, a little bit about myself. I 33 years in the fire service this year, or the year coming up, excuse me, 2024. Uh, second generation uh, fire chief in Brookfield. Uh, my dad uh, is a 55-year member of the fire company. Uh, he was chief for about eight years. And of course, uh, family traditions, it's in your blood, and I was around the firehouse growing up as a kid, and uh, it kind of gave me some direction in, in my career path, obviously. and. Uh, really wanted to get involved with the fire company, and I did when I was 16, and I've been there since. Nice. Now, just give us a, a background of Brookfield, just so people aren't from the area understand what it is. Uh, Brookfield's a 18-square-mile suburban uh, community um, in northern Fairfield County uh, with a very uh, wedge between two of the largest man-made lakes in Connecticut, and um, it has a population of about 18,000 people. And it's a very uh, a diverse um, response area for us. We have everything from, you know, cover about 11 miles of a, of a highway, uh, Route 7, a limited access highway, uh, to some heavy industry, to um, residential uh, occupancies that have uh, no hydrants. And uh, you, you mentioned the two lakes. That's a big part of your game. It's uh, Candlewood and uh, Lake Willanoa. Lake Willanoa. And they're, they're, you know, for those of us in the Connecticut area, they're, they're like I said, they're big man-made lakes. And in the summertime, I mean, they, they take up a chunk of your weekends. Yes, yes. Uh, the Brookfield Volunteer Fire Company, uh, I have the pleasure of also being the chief executive officer of the ambulance service. Uh, we also we run the ambulance. We have a, a paramedic ambulance service. And the fire chief is the CEO of the ambulance. So that falls under my purview, too. So the ambulance is very busy in the summer. And our sister company, Candlewood Company from Brookfield, it's a smaller um, fire company by the lake. They have a, a, a boat that is in the water uh, like seven months a year and a smaller uh, Zodiac boat, and it, that keeps them very busy. And we help staff that with them since they're a smaller company. And the lakes definitely keep us moving. Um, we've had, uh, sometimes we have five drownings out on the lake a year. Uh, this year wasn't so bad. The year before was, was four or five. So that does keep us hopping. Yeah, and I, I think one thing that a lot of people lose focus is, I, I mean, Obviously, next to our like routine fires, accidents, gas leaks, I, I you know water rescue is a big part of a lot of you know what a lot of us our smaller volunteer departments do. It, it is, and you know we have we have our ice rescue suits, for example, are set up with three hundred foot ropes, and we have to we've had to add to them before for ice incidents out on Cannibal Lake or Lake Wilnoa. We have the sleds and and whatnot, and and that kind of drives our training, you know, to, to specialize in some of those things. You know, the lakes definitely are, are a challenge for us for sure. Yeah, and uh, so I, obviously, you know, Andy and I have been friends for a very long time now, and uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about was that family tradition in the fire service. And, you know, Chief Ellis, like he said, his father was involved. You know, we, we've talked extensively about uh, my family background. Why do you think that's such an important part of the fire service today? Well, the fire service, in my opinion, um, I grew up in a second family in the firehouse in Brookfield, and the people that... Uh, some of my best friends in the world I met at the, at the firehouse when I was a young kid. It, 
and, and some people I looked up to uh, my whole career, uh, you know, in the fire service, uh, were people that were in the fire company. And in addition to just all, all of us being a family, it, it when you bring your children around, you know, we encourage that in, in Brookfield, and the the fact that you bring your children around, and they're it's not something that takes mom or dad away from them. It's something they can be a part of. You know, when you have cleanups or, or something that's appropriate to bring your kids to. I went to a lot of calls with my dad. I mean, that, that was my thing. I loved going to calls with my dad, and I think that's what got me hooked. Um, Being children of the 80s. We yes, were, children of the yes, 80s. We got know, to do some things maybe right. that, that weren't so kosher now, but we went to a lot of calls and did a lot of yeah. things. And We saw things that no 5- or 10-year-old should have seen. That's absolutely <laughs> correct, and that's why it's funny that our our, our we grew up kind of in the same type of family with, with uh, people involved in, in uh, public service, and uh, especially the fire company. That, that's a, in Brookfield, that's like the hub of the town. Yeah, and, and it is in a lot of communities. You know, the, the, again, even going back to the older time volunteer companies where you had the, you know, the volunteer firehouse was the political machine, it, it has maintained that importance of, of being a neighborhood entity or a town-wide entity that the town takes pride in. And, and I think, you know, crossing over, like we said, we want to talk about family tradition, we want to talk about recruiting and retention. I think you are 100% right about keeping the family atmosphere. Because if you can keep the family engaged, you'll keep the member engaged. And, and, and that's something that a lot of volunteer organizations don't realize. Absolutely. If, if you keep the family aspect to that, and you make the family feel welcome there, and you include them in what's appropriate and what you can, you get a lot more out of the member, Okay. Uh, they're they're less apt to feel to get some flack from your family when you go out to two meetings a week. And I mean, you know, as I when you become a chief, there's meetings, there's there's drills, there's training, there's calls. You know, we do we're gonna do close to 1,200 fire calls this year in Brookfield, and and probably 2,600 ambulance calls. So the pager's going off all all the time, and it requires you know attention, you know, in meetings or, or other issues that pop up. So if your family is behind it and they're supportive of it, um, I believe that makes it takes it's one less burden for the member to have on them, you know, thinking, oh, my God, my, my family's going to be, you know, a lot of times we'll have a Sunday morning cleanup where we'll detail the firehouse. Well, we'll go get egg sandwiches or a deli, and we'll get enough for the family, you know, for family members to come down. We know who's going to come, and we bring the kids down, and they, they help with sweeping the floors or, or rolling up some hose or doing whatever. It gets them involved, and, and it works. My son just turned 18 in November, and he joined the volunteer fire company with no pressure from me, believe it or not. It, it was his own thing. He said, Dad, I think I want to join the firehouse. He told me a few months ago, I said, that's great. And it was, I, I firmly believe it was an exposure for the young kids because um, my kids go to a lot of calls. They're, they're with me all the time, and they take in a lot of runs. And uh, he's, he's into it. Now, did you, did you have that choice, or did you just know? You know? I, I knew. Uh, it was funny. Um, I, I went to three years of Catholic school before my brother got us kicked out when he went there for <laughs> one year. But that's either here nor there. Um, across the street from our old center firehouse, which used to be our headquarters. And... Um, Sister Claire, when I was in first grade, called my mom and said, Mrs. Ellis, all he does is stare and look at the fire trucks and the siren go off. And Now the said, siren, you, did you guys have the game oh, hall yeah, system? Had, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we have a game hall system. Things I miss so well, much. We had, we had a big three-phase, yeah. like six-horsepower, you know, thing that w the lights would dim and the firehouse wouldn't go off. And we would write, literally the school would shake. You know, it would go off one time for an ambulance call, three times for a fire call. And um, I would look over at the fire trucks and I wouldn't pay attention. And she said, well, Sister Claire... You know, his dad, at that point, he's a fire captain. He's in the fire department. He, he, you know, he really likes, you know, the fire service. And I expect nothing less, you know, that he would be doing that. That's, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's how it was for us. You know, like yeah. we, like, like, you know, 
you know, being multi-generational, we grew up in it. I mean, my grandfather used to come to school to pick us up, to go to the fires in the valley. We like, used we, to be able to leave high school. We, we were too. And my mom would know where I was and what I was doing by where my pickup truck was on the side of the road, what was going on, or she would hear me um, and know that I wasn't at school. Right. So cool. what, what year did you graduate high school? Uh, 1993. Okay. So I, I was 96, and that was the, the way it worked in, in Derby was – you had to maintain above a C-plus average in all your classes, and you could leave. So we would carry our pagers, you know, or they would call the school and, and get us, you know, it was, it was me, my brother, uh, the Salem twins. They would make the announcement, well, the Leonards and the Salems come to the office, and we knew that there was a fire. Like, some, like oh, we got to go. Got to yeah. head out. It's funny, a bunch of us that were that joined the firehouse together as second generation or third generation, um, the greatest boys are third generation um, firemen, uh, are all on the job now, and we're still – um, Sean McKenney was, was one of our guys with us. He's a lieutenant in Stratford. He's a Reading Ridge fire chief. So, you know, it still stays, you know, all those kids going to high school, growing up that way and, and taking in calls, um, you know, it, it does make a huge difference. And impact, when you're young and you have that sort of exposure, I, I believe it really has uh, an impact. You know, a mutual friend of ours talks about his time in Long Island as a little kid, the firehouse, and, and, and he's right. You know, you get that exposure and, you, and the firehouse makes you feel welcome. Well, that's an environment you want to be in, you know. So. Yeah, and, and I mean, the other thing that I always say about the, the generational thing is, you know, look at where it led all of us. Like you said, how many of us, you know, went from our, you know, our parents volunteered, our grandparents volunteered, but then we turned it into careers. Yes. You, you know, and I mean, I mean, think about how many people do you know that, that did that? I mean, I, you know, I, I, could lo- I would lose count. Exactly. And, and I always, um, when, when I have guys in the fire company, I have a, by 12 or 13 guys that are on a job different places, um, uh, you know, various jobs. Three of them are in Bridgeport. Um, you know, uh, Ricky, my driver, he's, he's a cool dude. He's from uh, Brookfield, and he's a uh, active firefighter there. And um, those guys, you know, I'm the biggest cheerleader for them. And I just had two guys graduate the fire academy. One's going to Greenwich, one's going to Danbury. You know, and that just, that's great for us. Uh, I give them the same speech that, you know, I give everybody. Don't forget where you came from. Right. You know, that's the biggest thing. It, when you when, when the, the fire company gave, in my opinion, the fire company got me where I am, to where I am today. Uh, and I know the, the, the old-timers, if you will, I, I really know that they were the, the folks that helped me mold my career and, and gave me that kick in the ass when I needed it or, or pat on the back when I deserved it, uh, but mostly kick in the ass, and, and got me to where I am. And the exposure to that fire company, again, it's, that, it's, it's important. That, that sense of community, it's family. And, and it, they're all rooting for you. They're all there when you get sworn in or you get promoted. But they're also there to, to guide you. And I, I think that makes a, a big difference. So it's it's right now it's your son, you, and then your father. So Correct. you're you're on the third wave. Third wave. Third wave. And and, and my son, I'm the only second-generation chief uh, in Brookfield right now. But my son's got a lot of pressure if he wants to take the, you know, the range, the range yeah, down, you down know, the road. Like, yep. um, it, it, the job has changed. I, you know, the fire chief's job has changed. I, I talk to my dad about it all the time. Because he was, uh, you know, they were doing 150, 200 calls a year, and they did some ambulance calls, and there wasn't any, you know, OSHA and other regulations, you know, the NIOSH and the, and the things, all the standards that we have to abide by. And, and the administrative side of what we do and the liability, you know, to make sure that you have the well-trained, well-disciplined fire company is it's pretty great on the guys at the top. Yeah, I, I you know, over obviously, you know, sharing experiences being fire chiefs you you when you get outside and you start talking to to fire chiefs from different departments even when you start talking to some career fire chiefs 
and you're explaining exactly what you have to do as a volunteer fire chief. Some people are, are floored that you're, you know, you're running the show, you're running the budget, you're running the administrative side, you're running the operations side. You know, you, you're you're specking out vehicles. You're you know you're at city hall filling out requisition forms, and it, it's you know amazing how much of that people people don't see. They they don't. They really don't. And and I'm lucky. I'm blessed. I have phenomenal line officers. I have. Uh, two guys that are my assistant chiefs. I added another assistant chief last year. Now, how, how many members do you have? Uh, about 70 active, and Cannibal Company has about 15 or 20 active. Um, so I have this, this the 70 active, they're split between fire and EMS. There's probably 55 firefighters, you know, active, and the rest are EMS only type people. And we have a staff of 24 um, that just started working for the fire company. We had a vendor. Um, that we use for years that provided paramedic and, and uh, uh, EMT service. Um, but we went out on our own. We hired a phenomenal uh, individual to run our uh, paramedic service who is actually a deputy chief in the fire company. That's his rank. And um, he's, he's a really cool dude, and he has put together an amazing system um, with our to really mesh with our volunteers. And um, th that's helped out. So we have a between our staff and, and both fire companies, about 100 people, you know, between, between you know, everything. towns and everything, yeah. Nice. Now, for, like, recruiting and retention, what do you guys – so, like, I don't know, like, I, I go back and forth. I have varied opinions. There's sometimes I think, and I hate to be like the Debbie Downer, but, there, you know, I think we should all agree that the, the glory days of the volunteer fire department are never coming back. Correct. You know, and I think there's these, I would say, fallacies where people think – that there's like a one-stop solution for this this lack of volunteer problem, and and I think it, it's not going to be one-stop. I think it's got to be multifaceted. You know, I, I mean, for years in Derby, we had a tax abatement. Uh, the volunteer firemen, firefighters, and the ambulance <clears throat> members they get it, and I, I mean, at this point now, nobody cares about it. No, I, I mean, I hate to say it, it's, <laughs> and I hate to say it's just a thousand dollars, but it's just a thousand dollars. We have a low staff pension program for years of service. We have the, uh, the stipend, which was a tax rate, what they call a stipend. Yeah, you know, it's yep, $1,500, this... and it gets taxed. And, you know, it doesn't cover the fuel for, you know, what we got going on. Um, it's funny. Um, I, one of the, the fire chiefs of Southbury, the former fire chief, is a friend of mine, and he, he used to always kind of bust my chops that we have everything. Because we're very fortunate. We're, we're uh, very well funded. We, we buy all our apparatus. Up to this point, it's been bought by donations. The, the fire, the town has never bought anything. Uh, this last engine we just got, they paid for two thirds of. But we've we've financed everything except for the equipment and you know insurance and electricity and stuff ourselves. So we, we're very fortunate. We have a lot of things and access to a lot of things. And he always comes to the firehouse and he always says, "You have everything. You have everything." And I drove by his firehouse one day and he had a big sign out front that said "Members Needed." So I called him on the phone. I said, "You got something I don't have?" He goes, "What's that?" I said, "A Members Needed sign out front." And now of course he cursed me out. Uh, I'm very fortunate. We have a very robust active, deep membership. I have depth on the bench. Um, it's funny, every time our D-shift works, all my pay guys are on. So if I'm going to have a fire, I want to have it You want to have a high yeah, yeah. Um, but there's always some career guys around, which is great. And they're, and they're, they're not just like guys that all just go to the big ones. These guys go to alarms, they pump out the basements. I mean, they're, they're really... So between uh, the guys that are on the job, and uh, I'm very lucky I have... Uh, a workforce from that works in town, the public works, the sewer uh, superintendent of sewers. Uh, he was my assistant chief for three years. He's one of my lieutenants now. Awesome dude. Um, 
third gen, our second generation firefighter gets it, loves going to calls, just got his EMT back, goes to med- he's 60 years old, goes to medical calls, like a lunatic. Um, these guys, you know, carry the, the, the heavy workload during the day. And I'm very fortunate that I have some retired guys, and, there, and there's a lot of people that are around it, the, the people that work from home, especially since COVID happened, a lot of guys work from home. So, you know, I don't struggle for people during the day or at night. I, I get, I'm averaging almost 10 people a call, whether that's a structure fire or whether it's a fire alarm or a cellar pump out. Um, the other day we had a structure fire about a month ago at one o'clock in the afternoon on, on a Monday. And I had 32 people from the fire company there, which is, you know, during a, during a weekday, a work day. Right. So, a, yeah, that's a big deal. And it's, it's funny because that's one of the things I think that the fire service, especially the volunteer fire service, took a hit on was that homegrown, you know, when we were kids in the Valley with all the industry and all the, everybody was working there. Now, you know, nobody works there. So during the day, you're struggling because everybody's, in, in, you know, 10 pounds away working. Well, I always tell my membership, I, I come to work every four days, and you and I were on the same shift for a long time. We used to listen to calls together. You, you're in the valley and me up there. And I don't worry about it. These guys, you know, I'm very lucky. I have, you know, very good officers. I have two assistant chiefs who are, uh, I trust blindly. I trust all my officers blindly. And, and they, I, I encourage them to not look over their shoulder for me, to think outside the box, to take care of business. And if something's wrong, we'll handle it later on. But they don't need to be looking over their shoulder when I'm not there. You know, I, I encourage, uh, I've empowered them to, to be able to do their job when I'm not there. You know, if the fire chief isn't there, well, next up, you're in charge. And, and these guys do a really good job. And they, they've taken that to a new level. And, that, and that's part of the um, homegrown thing, knowing people. And, you know, I've known the, the two guys that have been my assistants for, for a long time. One of them for almost 30 years. The other guy for probably 15 or 20. And, and they're capable, confident, and, and as are the officers, and as are my membership. You know, I have a lot of guys that have been there 30, 40, 50 years. I don't have to tell people what to do when they've been there for 30, 40, 50 years. They get out of the rig, they take care of business. You know, it, I'm the luckiest fire chief around, and I know it because um, of the membership. You know, they make me look good every day, and, and I'm very aware of that. You know, I'm a lucky guy as far as that goes because I do come to work 20, you know, for, for as, a, as a chief here in Bridgeport, uh, 24 hours uh, every four days, and I, I, I listen to everybody, but I don't have to really get involved because they take care of it. So besides the, the pension, the, the stipend, I, another one that I think is a big asset that, that some departments miss, and it's almost like a, a low-hanging fruit. I assume that you guys cover training costs if you want to take, oh, you yes. know. And, and that, it's a, you'd be amazed, though, how many departments, you know, th- or they make people jump through such and hoops. Not only do we cover them, we host the classes in Brooklyn. Uh, this year, for example, we hosted Fire Officer 1, Fire Officer 2, Instructor 1. Firefighter, we do a Firefighter 1 and Firefighter 2 in Brookfield every year. That's well attended. This year's Firefighter, my son's Firefighter 1 class has 33 people in it from, from the area. We have Pump Operator coming up, Instructor 2, and Aerial Operator, all within 18 months, all those classes that are hosted in Brookfield. Yeah, and, it, and I think that's a, a, a low-hanging fruit that a lot of volunteer departments you know, and I, I mean, obviously in Connecticut, we know how it works where all we do is call the fire academy and tell them, hey, we want to host these classes and, you know, they'll, they'll do them for you. So it works out because, you, you know, you're paying just for your members and yes. then the, the rest of the class is paying to take it. So it, it really is such a simple way to, to, to incentivize and to keep people there. And, and we also have requirements to be officers which not a lot of people have. Uh, in order to be the fire chief, for example, you have to be fire officer two, you have to have instructor one, and safety officer, EMT, and all this other stuff. And 
to move up the ranks, you need to have that stuff. So if you have the classes there and you encourage people to do it, I have 32 safety officers, incident safety officers in my local department. I have over two dozen fire instructors. I have 18 people that are fire officers certified. You know, in a small volunteer fire department, that's huge. Uh, 47 of my people are firefighters too. I only have five firefighter ones, and those are people that died last year because I haven't taken any classes. So um, training is important. I also like to send send people out to uh, uh, take classes. You know, if I uh, it might be a week long class. If I send somebody out, one guy out, he can come back and bring, you know, kind of train the trainer type of thing. So I, I very rarely say no. I sent my safety officer to the safety officer convention in Florida this year. Nice. You know, that type of thing. All right. Well, uh, we're right about time. Time's up, about 20 minutes. So, uh, I, Chief, I want to thank you. Obviously, I plan on having you back a couple times over the course of the That's, year. I, that'd be an honor, David. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. And uh, tune in next week. And have a great night.